Olivia Hagland is a Bell Potter analyst covering a number of tech stocks, which you know had a surge during the pandemic, but post-pandemic are being sold off as investors flee growth stocks amid the high interest rate environment around the world. Olivia definitely has had her work cut out for her over the past two years and joins us now to discuss her background and a number of stocks that she covered. So Olivia, thank you for joining us today. It's exciting to have you on board. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background, first of all? Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me, Grady. yeah, so prior to joining Bell Potter, I worked at Audmanet um, in firstly assisting a team of financial advisors and a financial planner across Australia and Hong Kong, actually, um, in servicing their retail clients. Um, and that was really interesting. I think I gained um, quite a good understanding of, of the fundamentals of the market from both a trading perspective and a wealth management p- perspective. Um, I then moved into their institutional research team before coming across to Bell's in our institutional research team. Um, so I've assisted quite a few analysts across different sectors. Um, and that was really interesting to see, I think, the similarities and differences um, in terms of what drives a stock across different sectors, as well as different approaches to modelling and, and valuing a stock as well. So I'm now an analyst as well. Um, I've got three stocks under coverage, Cluey, Janison Education and AI Media, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about today. I'm excited to get into those very shortly. but. What approach do you take to analysing a stock or a company in general? Yeah, so we take both uh, a qualitative and a quantitative approach. So in terms of a qualitative approach, we look at obviously the company in a lot of detail and their actual offering. Um, We look at the total addressable market and their market share, um, competition in the space, things like that. Um, We then would look at broader industry trends. So if there's any headwinds or tailwinds in the market, things like regulatory environments, whether there's any um, industry consolidation happening as well. Um, Another really important thing we look at is board and management experience um, and their alignment with company performance. That's something our clients really look at um, as well. I think from a quantitative perspective, we obviously build a financial model which looks at a company's um, historical results as well as having our own valuations and, and forecasts in there. We probably start by looking at a company's operating segments, so the key drivers of those as well as unit economics, which are particularly important for high growth, high cash burn companies. Um, so yeah, that'll drive our, our top line forecast. We then would look at the company as, as a whole, as their, their consolidated financial um, state at the moment, um, and we'll look at whether that um, aligns whether is sufficient for them to continue operating, to, to scale or to achieve certain goals that they have. Um, we also obviously look at the, the macro environment as well, which informs a lot of the inputs into our financial models from both a valuation perspective as well as ways we think about our forecasts. Um, and one other thing I might add is we look at a lot of um, sort of industry relevant data that might also inform the way we, we think about those. Now, it all comes down to that final rating and final price target. How do you arrive at a buy, hold, sell or speculative buy rating and the price target as well? So with a price target, we will primarily use a DCF model or a discounted cash flow model, um, and that estimates the value of an investment based on their future expected cash flows. Um, And then we'll also use some sort of comparable company valuation. So for small cap growth stocks, that's generally an EV to sales or an EV to EBITDA multiple. Um, And then in terms of ratings, Bell Potter use a framework based on a 12-month view. So for a buy rating, um, clients can generally expect a more than 15% return. For a speculative buy, it's more than 30%, but there's obviously a lot of risk and volatility that comes along with those speculative stocks. 
um, and a hold is between negative 5 and 15% and a sell is less than negative 5%. Now let's get a little bit more stock specific. You cover Janison Education. They are an ed tech company. They're in the growth sector of tech stocks and they operate a software development their platform is software as a service, operate in Australia, New Zealand, and they have two segments, the assessments and solutions. Let's dive straight into that one. So the tech sector has had high volatility in the post-pandemic era. How has Janison performed post-pandemic and why do you think this is? Yeah, so we have seen a massive re-rating of the tech sector. Um, and even though we are mostly post-pandemic, I think, you know, these companies are still operating in an increasingly tough macroeconomic environment. In terms of share price, Janison's share price has come off um, post-COVID. Um, I think it's sitting at about 40% at the moment. Um, but we're also looking at things like the S&P All Technology Index, which is down more than 30% since January. So, yeah, we are seeing this across the board. Um, in terms of company performance, they recently reported their FY22 result, which was affected by COVID, and they have said they expect to see some continued effects of this. Um, the two main business segments that were affected was Pisa for Schools and ICAS as well, um, and that saw about three to four million in revenue foregone in FY22. So yeah, with Pisa for Schools, um, they didn't get any new contract signings in the second half of the year, um, and they saw COVID sort of really push out customers' willingness to commit to large-scale deployments um, with sort of resourcing constraints and market disruption as well. Um, there was also the main PISA international study that happens and runs till the end of this year, so December. Um, so some schools were sort of preoccupied with that as well. With ICAS, it obviously affected their um, ability to hold the exams um, with school closures in their peak selling period, which is Q1. Um, and they had high rates of refund, refunds and so on with, with ICAS as well. So um, in saying that, they are expecting new PISA for Schools IPP signings in the first half of 23. And they're expecting NSP signings to be more in the second half of the year um, when the main PISA uh, assessment finishes. So, and with ICAS, they've mostly done that now um, in August uh, that was held. Um, so they have said they're expecting revenue from ICAS in the first half of 23 to be 15% higher than it was last year at about 6.5 million. Um, so that was good to see. Um, they're also expecting to be free cash flow, free cash flow positive um, in FY23 as well. And a key driver of that has been the material resetting of their cost base. Now you hold a buy rating on Janison with your latest research on the company being a waiting game was the title of that. Can you run me through the rationale behind this? So as I mentioned, we, we are expecting less top line growth in at least the first half of the year. Um, and so we are anticipating more of a ramp up in FY24. And that's predicated on more normalized exam volumes, um, and, a couple more assessment platform clients um, and also an influx of these subdued PISA for Schools contract signings. Um, so essentially waiting for stronger operating conditions to be reflected through sales growth. Um, and we are also expecting um, or waiting for the first sort of material contribution from the new Rise Plus product that they've launched um, recently as well. So. Now, COVID was a double-edged sword for Janison Education with the shift to online learning as well as now back into the classrooms post-pandemic. How have they adapted to the hybrid learning as well as kind of post-pandemic era? Yeah, so I think I've spoken to some of the um, challenges of COVID and our expectations in a post-pandemic market. But I think in terms of students being back in classrooms, 
we think that education and accreditation bodies will continue to adopt um, technology into their learning processes and one part of that is the digitalisation of exams. And I think a prime example of that is NAPLAN being now completely online and delivered by Janison. So I think also um, there's just so many benefits that come along with that. Um, teachers are able to access and analyse the data immediately and provide feedback to students. Um, there's so many convenience benefits, you know, cost saving compared to having, you know, all the costs that come with ha having an exam in an exam room with um, people having to monitor the exams as well as printing costs, etc. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits that come with that. Um, and we think Janison's really well positioned to, to take advantage of that trend. They can obviously deliver and proctor exams in a hybrid setting as well as all of their other online offerings. So. So speaking of that sector becoming mm. a big sector, mm. we know it is quite saturated, the educational tech sector. Yeah. Um, in this day and age, what makes Janison stand out? <clears throat> What's their competitive advantage? Yeah, so we think they are a clear market leader in the high stakes, high volume digital exam space. Um, you know, they've got a proven reputation of success now um, and, you know, their technology has can definitely deliver. You know, we've seen that across multiple customers. Um, and I think that both of those things proved to be quite a barrier to entry for, for other competitors, um, just because of the time and financial investment that's, that's actually needed. So I think that's a key differentiator for them. Um, there's been a lot of cross-selling and upselling opportunities for them from M&A. I think actually most of Janison's growth has come from the acquisition of their educational assessment businesses. Um, and I think one example of that cross-selling and upselling opportunity is through this Rise Plus product. So essentially they're drawing content from all of their educational assessment businesses onto the one platform. Um, and then in terms of selling that, they've already got direct parent contract, uh, contacts from um, things like ICAS. So that opportunity is quite big and quite easy for them, sort of makes sense that, that move. Um, for several years now, they've also been transitioning towards providing more of a standardised uh, assessment platforms, um, as well as delivering the exams and providing content as well. Um, and that's, they've seen scale benefits from an improved revenue and customer mix, as well as um, providing higher margin, more recurring revenue for them. Um, as I mentioned, they're also expecting to be free cash flow positive in FY23. Um, and we, we also think, you know, they're really well positioned to take advantage of the move towards online learning and the integration of technology as well with their hybrid offerings and also online offerings. Yeah. Well, that sounds mm. very exciting. Yeah. And FY23 is a year for free cash flow and growth is what I picked up from yeah. that. Well, that concludes part one of our series with Olivia Hugland. Thank you for joining us and stay tuned for part two where we discuss two other stocks that she covers as a Bell Potter analyst. Yeah.